City Hope. How's everybody feeling? Good, man. What an incredible day already, right? Yeah, the weather is perfect. Anybody else like the cold weather? Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Good. Well, man, it is great to have you guys in church today. Welcome to all of our locations, uh, Mobile, Foley, Baymanet, the guys at Holman Correctional Facility, um, and then everybody watching online. It is great having you with us today. Uh, this is week two of this series, Yours for the Taking. Uh, let me just real quick um, just highlight last week. If you missed last week's message, let me encourage you. You've got to go back and you've got to listen to it. It's, a, it's an incredible foundational message for this entire series um, that... We're just kind of getting started. This is, you know, this is going to be a journey over, over about the next four weeks, um, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, so if you did miss last week, go back and check it out. Um, my dad just did an awesome job of laying out, kind of redefining faith, kind of, kind, of, kind of debunking some of those things that some of us, especially here in the Bible Belt, grew up thinking that you know, only the super spiritual had faith. Um, but no, every single one of us with that mustard seed worth that you have is begin moving now in that faith and watch what God does. And it was just a powerful, powerful message. Um, and so this week we're going to, we're going to kind of take it a little bit further. Um, as a matter of fact, last week he mentioned something that kind of jumped out at me. And, um, as we've talked about this series, it's a thought that I keep coming back to, um, that, you know, he talked about how for 17 years as a church, um, we somewhat wondered, um, and last year was a huge year for us because as a church, we stepped into what we believe is our promised land, our destiny, uh, you know, with the name change and moving into the new room and all these things, it was like, God just kind of, kind of changed some things and positioned us, um, to really go after the destiny that he has for us, the calling, the promise that he has for this house. Um, and as he said that, I just thought, man, what a powerful thought. What an incredible thought that as a church, um, we have done that. We have stepped into that promised land. And some of you, you know, you may be somewhat new to church, and so you don't really understand that crossing the Jordan analogy. But there's a really cool story in the Old Testament. Um, and it actually, I kind of got to go back a little bit further um, for you to really get it. But there's a, um, in the very beginning of the Old Testament, God spoke to a man named Abraham. Most of us know who he is, right? He's, you know, the Don Corleone, the godfather of the Israelites. He kind of started this whole thing. God said, boop, we're going to grab you. Um, and so God gave him a promise. And he's going he's gonna to birth this incredible nation from him. And incredible, all of his descendants and this, this promised land, this piece of property. And so from him to generation to generation through Isaac and Jacob, and then it passed on to Moses, there was this promise of this destiny, this land that the children of Israel were supposed to inhabit. The promise had been given to them, but they didn't have it yet. 
And eventually, actually, you know, Moses was the one, we all know this probably, Moses was the one that went to Egypt and freed all of the Israelites. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40, 45 years. Okay. And they just wandered. And actually it was in the wilderness that Moses died. And then he handed the baton to Joshua. And for generation after generation after generation, they had heard this story of the promised land. They had heard this story, this, this thing that had been passed down from generation to generation to just, you know, that there is something great for this tribe of people. God has a destiny. God has a plan. And one day Joshua, with the entire nation behind him, stood at the Jordan River. And they had walked for 40 years in the wilderness. They had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And on the other side of the Jordan was the promise that all these generations had spoke of, that all these people had spoke of, they'd heard stories of, and then there it was right there. And so what happens is pretty amazing. Joshua hears from God, comes up with this crazy strategy, and he tells the, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the, uh, the presence of God, the promise of God. And he tells the priest, you step foot in the river and watch what God does. And as soon as their foot touched the water, it, the, the river just stopped. And it said that the water began to heap up or began to stand up like a wall several miles away. It was so high, the water just stood straight up that they could see it from miles and miles and miles away. It was incredible. But in this moment, the children of Israel could step into their destiny. They could step into the promise that they had been, that they'd heard so much about. And the moment they did, everything kind of changed, right? Because now they're in their promise. They're in that spot. And, and as last week, as dad was kind of talking about the church doing that and we're stepping into our promised land, I just thought, what an incredible thing. And even for our personal lives, I mean, many of us in this room have made that crossing, that bold crossing from the wilderness to the promise. You know, so many of us in this room have gotten tired of wandering, aimlessly looking for purpose and destiny and tired of frustration and hopelessness and everything else. And we found Christ and we made the bold crossing into the promise of God. But what I think a lot of people mess up is they stop there. They get to the bank. They get to that inside bank of the Jordan and they stop. They settle right there. When there's this incredible land, this huge, vast promised land that was full of milk and honey and all these incredible things, but yet so many people just stop right there. They settle for that. And I'm going to tell you why they settle for that. Because it's a whole lot easier than pressing forward. Because the Bible says in Joshua 3.16 that the moment they crossed the Jordan, they faced Jericho. As a matter of fact, there were several enemy tribes that had kind of taken possession of the land. And they were camped out everywhere to the point that cities had begun to sprung up and walls and kings. And all these things began to happen in the promised land. So when, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they made that bold crossing. They walked in their promised land. There was a part of them that could have easily thought, "Woo, we made it. We're here. This is it. Look, guys, look at all the honey. Woo. Right? But yet they had to actually take the land. It had been given to them. It had been promised to them, but they had to possess it. They had to take it. They had to face the enemies that currently occupied the land. And I think that's where so many of us get stuck. We stop right there. Because we expect this life of Christianity to be somewhat smooth sailing. Right? I mean, I'm expecting to step into the promised land and everything to just begin to coast and everything to get a little bit easier, right? God's on my side. 
So this is what happens. I think a lot of people camp out right there on the bank. They, they don't step into and occupy the fullness of the promise. They get them a little pup tent, crack open the s'mores, sit right there on the bank of the river, probably got them an Eno in the trees. And they think that that's enough. But God's saying, guys, there's a promised land for you. You're just, you're on the outskirts of something incredible. Press into it. Don't be afraid of the enemies. Press into it now because there is a promise for you. How many of you have potentially settled on the banks of the promise? On the banks of your destiny? On the outskirts? You cross the Jordan. You're there. But you're not willing to face the enemies that are going to oppose you when you try to take every bit of it. How much of our Christian life is like that? Right? There are so many promises. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been promised every spiritual blessing in Christ. But how many of us live those things out? How many of us are truly living the peace of the Lord, the joy of Christ, the strength of our Lord? How many of us are really living those things out? Or have we stopped short of the fullness of that promise to fully occupy the land? Just because it was promised to us doesn't mean we have it. Just because this better life was promised to you doesn't mean that you have it yet. And the Israelites found this out really, really quick. Because as soon as they stepped foot on the promised land, they immediately were hit with the reality that there's an enemy and I've got to defeat the enemy. And most of us, you've probably heard this story, right? Joshua and the wall of Jericho. And here they are, they're stuck. They've got the wall of Jericho in front of them. They've got the raging Jordan River behind them. And they're just kind of in this spot stuck, which is exactly where God wanted them to be. Because he wanted them to fully trust him and obey him and listen to him. And this is what happened. So uh, Joshua's going down, he's doing a little recon. He's checking out the, the city and here's this massive Jericho and these big walls. And their very first enemy that they have to defeat to take possession of the land. He's doing a little recon. Then all of a sudden this army commander guy shows up, Rambo looking dude, except probably angelic. Right? Probably scares him a little bit. He's worried. He's in the dark. He's got the black face stuff on and he's sneaking around. And then, bam, here's this guy, right? He's up on him. Right? And this guy says, Listen, I'm the commander of the Lord's army and I've got a plan for you. I'm going to tell you step by step how to defeat this city. And so this is, what, this is what he says to him. He says, or this is Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Listen to this. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. From the wall, uh, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go straight in. Okay, so Joshua comes down, you know, comes back from the wall. He comes back from meeting with the commander and he tells his commanders what the plan is. Can you imagine how that went? You know, we've got our swords, we've got our guns, we've got our tanks, we've got whatever. Right? And then, but guys, all we're going to do is we're going to walk around it. And we're only going to walk around it one time. And we're going to do that for a few days. And then eventually we're going to walk around a whole bunch of times. 
But at the end of the day, God is going to give us this victory. And it's exactly what happened. Joshua 6, we'll pick it up in verse 15. On the seventh day, I kind of skipped the first six. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, and everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They didn't take the promised land when it was promised. They took it when they obeyed. Right? Because 100% of the time, God owns the responsibility of the outcome. Ours is just simply obedience. And so here they are standing at this impossible situation, and they trusted God. They obeyed God, and they did exactly what God called them to do and told them to do. What an incredible story. But I wonder how many of us are stuck on the banks, looking at a wall, looking at a problem, looking at an unexpected situation that is attempting to derail you from your destiny. Let me tell you something. The enemy does not want you to occupy all of that promise. If the enemy could keep you on the banks of it, he would. Because you are no threat to him whatsoever if you're living on the banks of your destiny. Only when you occupy all of it, when you take possession of all of your promise, are you a threat to the enemy. If you're just sitting over here and you're just, everything's nice and sweet and this is nice and this is, you know, I got my little Eno and we're just chilling, you're no threat to him whatsoever. But how many of us have settled in that place? You know what I'd say? How many of us are beginning to settle? You know, we've been doing this for a long time. You've been in church a long time. You've been a believer a long time. And There's this one opposition, this one battle that you just can't seem to win, and it's just, you've just settled. You've said, you know what, I'll just, I'll stay here. And the promise and the destiny and the the fullness of what God has for you is beginning to fade because of how much time you've spent on the banks. And you're not willing to charge the enemy. You're not really willing to do the crazy thing God said and march around the city. You're not willing to go after it and to fight that battle and to fight that fight. So real quick, I want to give you three things, three keys to help you face the wall. Just a, just a few moments ago during worship, we talked about, and we, by show of hands, we looked and saw how many people need a miracle in this room. How many people are up against the wall right now? How many people are facing opposition and you say, without God, this isn't going to, I'm not, this is not going to end well. If God is not on my side, this, I don't win this battle. Most of us in this room would say that that is true that we're facing a wall and we can either fight to take possession of our promise or we can cower back and we can sit and we can settle. So three keys to facing the wall. And the first one is this, get God's perspective. You've got to get God's perspective. You know, the, the interesting thing about Jericho is Jericho really wasn't that big of a city. You know, in, in Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, we, we kind of think that. We think it's this massive place, but it, it really wasn't that big. However, its walls were enormous. So when the Israelites were standing at the base of that wall looking up, all they could see was wall. That's it. They couldn't see the promised land. They couldn't see the destiny. All they could see was this giant problem. 
However, God, from his perspective, could see the reality of what it really was. And there's a really good scripture that kind of highlights this contrast between, between the wall that Joshua saw and the victory that God saw. And we've already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Joshua 6, 1 and 2. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one went out. So this is Joshua looking at it going, well, clearly, I mean, look, they got this thing shut down. The gates are barred. The walls closed up. This place is impenetrable. It is huge. It is massive. It is on lockdown. And yet the very next verse is God's perspective. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with the king and the fighting men. Joshua sees the natural walls shut down, locked down. This thing is impossible. And God says in the past tense, hey, look, I already did it. It's done. The victory has already happened, right? This is this perfect scenario of our perspective versus God's perspective. All Joshua sees is a wall and God sees the victory. So how do we get God's perspective? How do we see things the way God wants us to see things? Um, one, of our, one of my favorite things to do every now and then we'll hit the arcade, right? And anytime I'm at the arcade, I'm always gonna ride the motorcycle game. Anybody with me, guys, right? And not, and not like the little, the little simple sissy one. No, no, I'm going to sit on that motorcycle, the little crotch rocket, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to sit on that little girly motorcycle because it's not a real bike, but it'll work. My wife won't let me have a real one, so that kind of has to work. Okay. Right? And, and every I'm always going to ride it. I don't care. It's going to happen because I love motorcycles. But here's the deal. On the dashboard there, it says it has the word view with four buttons. Okay, And whenever I hit the first button, view one is typically, you know, you can, I can kind of see my handlebars and I can see like a couple taillights and I can see like the next curve. I can see right here and I, gotta kinda, I can't really look around people, right? But then if I hit view number two, it kind of backs me up a little bit and I can kind of see most of my motorcycle. I can kind of see a little bit ahead. By the time I get to four, I'm like full drone view. And I'm like way up in the sky. My motorcycle is this little blip. And then I've got like a mile ahead of me. I can see every obstacle. I can see every problem. I can see, I can see every other bike on the road, right? This is getting God's perspective because so many of us are locked to right here. And all we see is what's coming at me right now. I'm just, I just got to dodge what's coming at me. I just got to dodge what's coming at me. But if I can see, if I can, if I can manage to get up to his perspective and see how God sees, then I realize, number one, how small it all really is. And number two, I can see what's coming. I can see how God's going to work. I can see how God's in the middle of it. I can see how God's going to move me and navigate me and, and steer me to where he wants me to go. How do we do that? Number one, man, church is such an incredible way for you to get God's perspective. It's the reason why this happens every single week. It's the reason why being in this place at one of, your, at one of our campuses every week is so important. Why? There is no better place for you to get God's perspective than right here. With godly people, serving with godly people, remembering that this thing is so much bigger than you, worshiping God, hearing the word of God, seeing other people worship God. Right? It immediately lifts our perspective and reminds us that, man, God is big. God is huge. Reading your Bible. Right? We've said it a hundred times, man, just 10 or 15 minutes a day. Spend a little bit of time in God's word every single day. Don't focus on the Levitical law. Right? Don't, don't even. That's not, no, don't even do it. Get into the word, get into what Jesus said, get into the New Testament, get into some of these stories like we're talking about today that, that just charge your faith. But it's so boring. No, it's not. You're boring. 
okay? Get into the word. Get into the word, man, and just let it begin to change you. It's the reason we fast a few times a year. We just fasted. We're going to fast a couple more times this year. Why? Because it just, it takes us to a new perspective and lets us see how big God is. It's the reason we worship like we did today. Corporately, we look to God and we just lift him up and we, and we worship and we worship and we worship. It's so important that we have God's perspective, that we get to that place. Those things constantly remind us how big God is. I love what Isaiah 40 says. Who else has held the ocean in his hand? This, I'm, I'm a visual guy. Just think about that for a second. Who else has hold the ocean in their hand? Who has measured the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who else has weighed the earth? Who else measures the sky like I measure to put pictures up in the living room? Right? I think that's about right. We'll probably go over there, probably like that. And God literally said, yep, that's the Milky Way. Yep, that's this galaxy. I don't know anymore. That's all I got. This one, <clears throat> right? Right? I mean, who else? It's God. And whenever we can get up and see from his perspective, everything changes. Anytime I walk in the living room and my kids are building blocks, all right, and they're starting to build this little amazing, like, statue mountain thing that could be in the Guinness World Book of Records, what do you think dad's going to do? I'm going to go Godzilla on that junk, Right? Like, I don't know what it is. You just, you walk in and you're like, bam, whatever. I don't know, kid. Do it again. Just blocked. Okay. But listen to me, like that's the way God saw the walls of Jericho. Think about it. I mean, that's it. So he could have just at a snap of a finger changed everything. He could have just walked over and kicked it. But that is the God that we serve. That's the God that's inside of us. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too big for him. Even when you stand at the wall and you think, this is ridiculous. How can I ever get past this? The moment you see it from God's perspective, you realize, well, this is actually nothing for him. This is nothing for him. When we have God's perspective, there is nothing the enemy can do to get in between you and your promise. Whenever we have God's perspective, there's nothing the enemy can do to get in between you and your promise. Number one, get God's perspective. Number two, you have to act in faith. Not fear, act in faith. You have to move forward. You know, God gave them this crazy, unconventional, unusual plan. And what did the children of Israel do? They marched. They began moving. They began walking. They began going. As crazy as it sounded, as weird as it was, they began moving. Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Like I said, God could have just knocked the thing down. But he wanted to see what was in their heart. Are they going to trust me? Are they going to believe in me? Are they going to follow what I say? And the moment that they did, incredible things happened. Romans 8, 28, we all should know this if you don't. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If we truly know that God has our best interest at heart, then we can trust him. We can believe in him. We can follow him. Whatever the battle, whatever the situation, no matter how big it seems, we can listen to him. We can, we can hear the Holy Spirit. We can read his word. We can listen to wise and godly counsel. We can, we can follow God's calling in our life and then boldly begin moving and begin taking steps. 
no matter how strange it is, no matter how weird it is. You know, just this week I heard a terrible story of a family that got a terrible medical report. And it's so sad, but I think of all the people in this room and are watching right now, listening right now that have just terrible things pop up in their life. And sometimes it's so easy just to kind of back up and coward and get depressed and go into a, a little hole and all this stuff instead of, instead of fighting, spiritually fighting. Yeah, do what the doctors say. Yeah, yeah, follow all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, God's in charge. So begin moving what he says. Get up every morning and declare healing over your body. Fight for the promise of God. He's promised healing over your body, then fight for it, right? Don't just sit back and go, well, the doctor said, I mean, this is what I'll do and I'll just wait until, you know, if God wants to heal me, he'll heal me. No, man, fight for what's yours, right? Look at that wall and charge head on. And when God says do something, when it's crazy or not, do it. Do it. Move in faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible to please God without faith. I love the flip of it also. If you flip it, it's like this. Every time you act in faith, you please God. Isn't that cool? Every time I do something in faith, every time I move in faith, I step out in faith, even when I'm unsure and I say, okay, this is what I believe is going to happen. And I step out, I'm pleasing God. And you know what? Whenever you are acting in faith on what you believe God is telling you, you cannot miss God. Let me say that one more time. When you're acting in faith and you're moving in faith and you're doing what you believe God has told you to do, you cannot miss God. You know why? Because your momentum is moving you forward. And if you do take a misstep, God can just redirect you. God can just slide you right where you need to be. A great example of this is parents with our children. Right? Some of us have kids that are, are trying to do great, that are trying to make great decisions, that are trying to be responsible, that are, that are you know, trying their best to be good people. When they take a misstep, it's really easy to redirect them and get them back on track. But when you've got that 19-year-old that doesn't want to get off the couch and says they're going to be a professional gamer their whole life, right? you can't get them to do anything. Why? They're not making good decisions. They're not trying to be responsible. They're not trying to do anything but become a professional gamer. And that's a real thing. Not the professional part, the kids doing that part. Okay? But people do that. They sit there. Now that kid, forget trying to get them on the right track. You're going to pull and you're going to force and you're going to be frustrated and aggravated. But the kid that's already going, man, I just want to do better. I just want to be responsible. I just want to make good decisions. I want to make mom and dad proud. I want to do this. I want to do that. Man, those people, you can just easily, boop, boop. And that's exactly what God does to us. When we act in faith and we're in his word and we're pursuing him, if we take a slight misstep, he can easily guide us right back to where he wants us to be. Okay? All right. One and two. Get God's perspective to act in faith. Now, number three. And I'm way out of time, so I'm going to be about through it. Number three. Don't take souvenirs. Don't take souvenirs. God gives trophies, okay? God gives trophies, not souvenirs. Souvenirs are from the battle. Let me read you one scripture, Joshua 6, 18. God says, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Here's the difference in trophies and souvenirs. Trophies are awarded to you by a higher power because you won something. 
because you are victorious. A souvenir, any goober can buy a souvenir with $2. Right? Let me take it one step further. When I come over to somebody's house and they want to show me the, um, I don't know, the keychain that they got at Disney World, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about the, you know, the magnet that they got from San Francisco. No, but when they show me the Super Bowl ring, right, we all want to see that, right? For me, if they show me the Oscar that they won at the Academy Awards, I want to see that. Right? I want to see the trophy that they won because they deserved it, not the souvenir, the piece of junk that anybody can go buy. Right? This is the picture. These guys, God said, hey, listen, don't take anything with you. What we do is we take a little bit of hurt, we take a little bit of pain, we take a little bit of unforgiveness, we take a little bit of, of this stuff from the battle that we won, but we carry it into the next battle. And God said, don't do that. Leave every bit of it behind. Don't even bend down and pick up one rock. Leave every bit of it. Because when you do, you will destroy yourself and the entire camp of Israel. Think about that. When you take that pain and you let that bitterness and that thing, that unforgiveness begin to roll and it becomes, it becomes part of your life, it ruins relationships. It ruins families. Right? It ruins your small group, it ruins your church, it ruins your, whatever you're a part of, all of a sudden there's this, I don't even want to be around that person anymore. Because all of a sudden now they're picking up all these souvenirs. And listen, God can't give you a trophy if your hands are full of souvenirs. If your hands are full with a whole bunch of knick-knacky junk that anybody can buy, that anybody can pick up off the ground, then God cannot give you the trophy when you win the war. You will not have complete victory if your hands are full of souvenirs. Won't happen. Can't happen. We have to let that stuff go. Let me tell you real quick, five ways that you could let those souvenirs, you can lay them down for good. One, and this is a tough one. One, you have to forgive those that hurt you. You have to forgive those that hurt you. Listen, unforgiveness chains you to that person. It attaches you to that person in that situation. And you cannot go to the next battle in complete victory until you forgive them. You need to bless the person that wronged you. It's a lot easier to curse, but you'll not have victory if you're cursing someone. You'll only have victory when you're speaking blessing over them. Right? You need to take time to allow God to heal you. Nobody goes from battle to battle to battle without taking time to heal. You have to have time with God in his word, in worship, for him to heal you, to take care of your wounds. Nobody wants a lame soldier going into the next battle right on the heels of of a major injury, right? We want to be healed so that we can go into it strong. You have to give thanks for what God has done. Give thanks for what he has done. The victory that is going to happen. You know, there's nothing that scares the enemy more than in the middle of a victory whenever you give God thanks for the victory. It immediately reminds the enemy where this whole thing's going. In the middle of it, whatever wall you're facing, when you say, thank you, God, for this victory, right? It reminds the enemy, well, this is pointless. They're going to win anyway, right? The fifth thing is this, celebrate where you are right now. Celebrate where you are, because let me tell you something. You're in the middle of a battle, and when you come out on the other side, you're going to be a better believer. You're going to be closer to God. You're going to be a better human being. You're going to be a better person closer to the destiny that God has for you when you get through that. So you say, God, thank you 
that I'm coming through this. Thank you that I'm going to win this. God, thank you for trusting me with this. Because on the backside of this, I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to be closer to my destiny, closer to what you called me to be. Don't pick up souvenirs. When you go through a battle, don't take rocks with you. Don't take that stuff with you, man. Let it go. Forgive, bless, thank God. All those things, man, release those souvenirs so that you can fully embrace the destiny and the promised land that God has for you. Hebrews 10, uh, Hebrews 10, 36 says this, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So let me wrap it right here. No matter what obstacle you're up against, no matter what battle you're facing, no matter what miracle you need, don't sit and settle on the banks of your destiny. The word says right there, persevere, push, drive, move, get up and begin walking toward your destiny. Every battle you face, God is with you. He will fight that battle with you. The outcome is his responsibility. Yours is the obedience. Right? To be led by him, to be, to be guided by him, to walk wherever he wants you to go. Our God is so big. And what he wants more than anything is for you to live in your destiny. And that scares the enemy silly. That's the last thing he wants is for you to fully occupy the promise of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that we get to be here today, that we get to hear your word, that we get to worship you, that we get to be in community with one another. And Lord, I pray right now that as your word has spoken to us, God, that we will be challenged to get up, to go, to move, to not settle anymore, to not be afraid of a battle, to get up over the wall and to see the wall from your perspective, to see, God, that it's actually small. In comparison with everything that you want to do in our lives, it's tiny. To the God that weighs the earth in his hand, that measures the heavens with his fingers. God, it's all tiny. It's all small. It's all so little, but to us, it seems impossible. God, get us up above the fray, up above the stuff so that we can see you fully. Lord, I pray that today, every person here that has settled, that stopped pursuing their destiny, that stopped pursuing the the promise that you've put in their heart. I pray God light it on fire right now. Lord, may that passion well up inside of every single person that hears my voice right now, God. The battle that they've cowered away from, the the impossible situations, the impossible walls, I pray right now let there be a passion well up inside of us that we are gonna trust you in faith and we are gonna move. We're not gonna settle for a piece of the promise, for a riverbank of the promise. We want it all. We want every bit of it. We want to live in the center of your destiny for us. And Lord, we today walk out of this place changed, inspired, different, encouraged to take another step towards you. We love you in Jesus' name. If you will, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Before we go, I'm going to give the opportunity because today we've talked a lot about destiny. And I know there could be some people here today that walked in this place and they're living in the wilderness. You know, they're, you're, you're wondering and you're wondering, man, when in the world am I going to find hope? When in the world am I going to find purpose? And I, and I believe that you wandered into this place on purpose today. That your destiny, your Father God is here today saying, hey, cross the Jordan. Hey, 
make this bold crossing from dry, nasty wilderness into the promised land of God, the destiny that he's called you for. Today, if you'd like to accept Jesus to come into your heart, to begin a relationship with him, I just ask you to simply slip your hand up real fast. If you're tired of wandering in the wilderness and you wanna know this promised land, go ahead, raise it up. There's hands all over the place. Every campus, raise your hands, don't be shy. There are hands all over the place. Listen, we're gonna pray together. If you raise your hand, pray this with me. Everybody, let's pray together at every campus, at every location, let's pray. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I'm tired of the wilderness. I'm tired of being hopeless. I want hope. I want purpose. And mostly, I want to know you. Come into my heart. Jesus, change me forever. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for providing this opportunity that I could be saved, that I could be rescued. I give you my heart. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Can we give those guys a big hand?